It's a wonderful day at Kafaro, everyone. Welcome to Kafaro Cast. Uh, this is actually a unique deal, mostly because uh, we have a guy I've looked up for, to for quite a long time that I don't think knows that. Uh, this is his first podcast, and uh, huge fan of his clothing and, and as well of him, which is uh, Davy Hughes, owner of uh, Swazi. I appreciate you coming all the way over here to do the podcast. Actually, you didn't come over here to do the podcast. No, no, I did, Aaron. (laughs) Uh, And Donnie Vincent, who we did a podcast before this one. And knowing Donnie, I figured Donnie would find Davey quite interesting. So I asked Donnie to stay on. So Donnie's still here, and we appreciate you coming. Yeah, and I'm already very interested in (laughs) the man, the legend that I just met in the lobby. (laughs) And uh, Frank the Tank. Yo. (laughs) So, uh, everybody, Donnie's been on the podcast before, so we don't need to go over with him as much. But, Davey, you are not as well-known in the U.S., except maybe in the inner circle. You've been at this a long time. How old are you now? How how long have I been doing it, or how old am I? A little of both. How old are you? <laughs> I'm in my late 50s, you know, heading into 70s. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is our uh, 25th year. Of, of of making hunting clothing so it's gone by so quick yeah i i, I bet i i'm a, a huge you know advocate proponent of of swazi gear and i've obviously spread the word as much as i can here in the u.s um it's just catching on here a little bit more when you came in and started talking with donnie you were mentioning it one of the guys you'd hunted with before had his the anorak which is yeah. something that i wear in, in 2009 Nine. 2009 so Kind of, how'd you get started with Swazi? I, I know, uh, I know the story, but it's it's kind of interesting. I had the hood, right? I had two of them, and which is just a fleece pullover that you make. And I'm friends with Clay Lancaster. Clay looked at it. He's like, you know, Davy, and I'm like, no. And then about four hours later, he stopped talking about you and telling stories. Um, the Nahani jacket that you guys make was made for Nahani Butte Outfitters, if I'm not mistaken. That was you and Clay designing that or yeah actually it was kind of like for me it was a tribute to cam clay's Mm -hmm. clay's brother and um you know cam was uh, was one of my best buddies ever really we never met much but when we did we just we just hit it off all, all the time and um when he uh when he passed it was like i wanted to to make a garment that was really a bit of a tribute to him Mm -hmm. and so that's how that came about well, you did good because I love that thing. That's that big fleece jacket that I wear. This windstopper on the inside. The the gear that you that you make at Swazi is is a bit different than like you said. Doesn't have ninety five pockets. Uh, it does have functional pockets, but it does last forever. And it it's a little bit outside of the box compared to it's very functional. I guess I would say like people when I first started wearing that longer jacket didn't understand the concept behind it, but I behind it, but I love that thing. Um, you you kind of were in it when you started. You really want to design what you needed more than anything. Yeah, I mean, if if we go back those 25 years to, to when we did get started, it all came about. I mean, I was a trapper. I lived in the mountains and I'd be, you know, on my own five, six months of the year and just going like the gear I've got you know, it, it doesn't work that well. Then the skin market crashed. And uh, I think I told you, you know, there were only two things I was an expert at. One of them was getting wet and the second one was getting cold. <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe I can make, make some gear that'll keep me dry and warm. And that's really how the whole thing kicked off. If the skin market had stayed buoyant, um, I wouldn't have started making clothing. 
Yeah. Any any uh, regrets looking back? Or are you pretty happy with how it's gone? Uh, never have any regrets, you know. I, I think uh, you should never look back anyway, but uh, the only thing you should regret is something you haven't done yet. Yeah. No regrets. Is that uh, that long design the with the uh, jackets that you have, some of the jackets, was that something that you kind of came up with? Is that common overseas? Because it's not something that's common for us necessarily. Yeah, it's it's um, in North America. They A lot of people, you know, they have garments that come down to just below your waist. But, you know, we, we get a lot of rain, you know, a lot of rain. And I think where, where I am, we get like, it's over 30 foot a year, so. It's double what Western Washington gets. I yeah. Guess, yeah. Almost triple. It's ridiculous. And it's remarkable how many rain gear companies have never designed gear for rain. Yeah. <laughs> right around 99% of them. <laughs> I mean, the one thing is people don't realize rain comes up as well as down. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then, you know, the, the other thing is I really hate getting a wet ass. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, because let's face it, your buttocks are um, a big muscle and they suck. Yeah. And they suck water like you wouldn't believe. So <laughs> yeah. keep them dry. I, I uh, the anorak, I, my kind of system is I would wear gaiters because it doesn't rain as much here. And then I'd wear that anorak and I really didn't have to wear rain pants in a lot of situations. And when I'd sit down, my ass wouldn't get wet. When I bend over, I wouldn't get rain on my butt crack. And so it was for me immediate like, okay, why aren't people in North America doing this? Because this, makes way more sense and and as well as beating the brush you know if you just uh you know you think about it it's a kind of a secondary layer from your waist to your knees that you don't get with clothing you know here so i pack it around quite a bit i i've I've used pretty much everything that you guys you know make you've got some newer garments your lighter weight one I've, i've used quite a bit on high country mule deer hunts it's just lighter it's not as nearly as durable but it's not going to be it's probably half the weight or less isn't it yeah, it's a bit of a compromise. You know, when you start going ultralight, then you're going to lose some of the strength. Were factor. you twitching when you came out with that? Was that a hard one for you? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, we trial our gear a lot, and I'd been wearing that particular garment for about three years, and I'd only ripped it once, and that was on a on a brown bear hunt in, in Kodiak, and that was because I was running the wrong way downhill really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I was pretty pleased with the fact that as light as it was, it, it didn't hold that easily. But I, I knew that a lot of a lot of people are just pretty clumsy. Yeah. And so it's like, well, okay, you know, that's that is going to be your compromise. You want light gear, you can stick a hole in it a lot easier. Yeah. What what uh name off some of the different animals you've uh, you've taken? Um, sheep, bear. I love hunting bear too. You know. I, Bear and buffalo—that's kind of it, you know. And that's um, and I'm afraid buffalo kind of take it out as well. Cape, Cape buffalo, water buffalo, you know, American bison. It's it's the Cape buffalo that really tickles my fancy. It's it's a little bit like you know your drinking habits as you, as you age, they they change. And so you know, years ago, I I still consider myself a meat hunter. I hunt for meat, you know, and I every animal I shoot, I eat. So I'm not a trophy hunter, but hunting hunting Cape buffalo for me that's that's number one. Number two is bears. But you've shot doll sheep and I mean pretty much everything else on. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty glad I never really got the sheep bug to tell you the truth because you'd be in uh, poverty. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know uh, and goats. So a goat is and why you know why these um, alpine animals is because when you're up there you're on top of the world and. That's not actually the animal that you're hunting. It's 
it's yourself that you're hunting. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. You, you said you're in your 50s going on 70. What adventures do you have planned or in store for the next year or two? Anything crazy? Um, nothing too crazy. I'm, I'm looking at going to Greenland in a month or two, um, hunt muskox. And yeah, that's not crazy. Build igloos. <laughs> and, you know, I just decided if you're going to hunt muskox, you really want to live in an igloo. So, yeah, um, I'll do that. Um, tar hunting. And, you know, I, I really get the shakes if I don't go tar hunting once a year. It's just for me, you know, they're there, they're in New Zealand. And, and again, you're on top of the mountain. I absolutely love it. When you do the tar hunts, are you getting flown up uh, in a helicopter to the top and then kind of hunting your way down, or do you hunt more in the lowland form, or how's that work? Uh, a, a lot depends on the amount of time I've got. You know, I've I've got a tar hunt in May, and I've I've got five days, so it's like, well, okay, where I want to hunt is two two and a half days walk in. So if I um, <laughs> you if can I, walk in and walk out, yeah, walk in and walk <laughs> out and go. Wow, that was really that cool, was amazing. Yeah. Um, so what I'll probably do is actually fly in, but we'll fly into a, a cabin in the in the river mm-hmm. um, systems, and then just walk from there. So there's a, there's going to be a lot of climbing. Yeah. Um, but hey, that's enjoyable as well. I'm like a steam drain going up the hill, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> slow and steady wins the race, kind of a thing. Um, so if you know you're over here for the OR show, yeah, are you just visiting and, and hanging out or anything specific or just see new gear? Um, really just, you know, bringing a young designer through and, um, and showing her what, what's happening with the rest of the world so that she can get a, a full grasp on what we do and why we do it mm-hmm. and to look at new fabrics and, and, and trims. It's the, um, it's the first year that we haven't done the SCI show. Um, and poof, what have we been doing? We've been doing it for 24 years. We've been going 25, done the show 24 times, and this is the first year we haven't done it. So I'm, I'm definitely going to miss it, but it's just, yeah, I mean, I could do this show or the SCI show. Gotcha. David, do you see a trend in um, yours being, let's just call it a smaller company, do you see a trend in the bigger companies designing gear that people will buy? Overall, where you're designing gear that actually fits a niche, a problem that you've discovered in the mountains or in the valleys as you've been hunting. I just see, you know, I see a lot of, you need to fall back on rain gear. I see a lot of rain gear that's basically designed very expensive, very high-end rain gear that's designed for the soccer field Yeah, and the minivan. Yeah. And I think that that's what big companies do. And I, and I think it, at the end of the day, it does come down to the designers um, not getting out there enough. I mean, yeah. I know that if, if you guys started a clothing company, it would be an amazing clothing company, not because I'm, I'm saying offhand, you, you chaps are going to be fantastic designers, but you use the gear, you know what, what's going to work. And I think that's first and foremost, if, you know, any advice for a young designer, just get out there as much as you can, see what does work. We talk about it a lot. Um, Frank is, is much more, what do you say, tried and true guy. He doesn't like changing gear, right? If it works, he doesn't deviate from that but we get a lot of gear to play with i would say more than most often there's gear that we get that you kind of look back and like, who the fuck designed this right like <laughs> what were you thinking and uh and not not always there's times where you, you know you get it and it's a pretty good piece of gear but a lot of times and and we do a lot of backpacks i'll see a you know an asian made backpack that's sold kind of bought and sold wholesale it would be sold at like a Cabela's that I'm trying to put my mind around why there's certain things in, in certain you know places or or something that's like 
you know, is going to fail immediately. That was one of the things that, like with your stuff, that immediate was, I right, well, there's no failing points on this. It's going to last for, uh, for actually, the first stuff I bought, Cody Covey has part of it, and Jake Downs has others, and that was seven years ago, and they're still wearing the fleece because uh, I got new fleece hoods, and there's something to be said for that, I guess, considering other garments I have got about a season into them. The fleece stuff's fleece, and, you know, it's going to last as long as it's going to last. The anorak is the one that, that's a few lifetime type of a jacket. Do you guys get warranties on those that are as old as the company? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get um, we get original jackets coming back in and guys saying, can you can you put a new cuff on it, please? Yeah, Clay has one, I think, that's probably 20 years old. That yeah. I'm like, dude, just buy a new one for Christ's sake. Bro. Yeah, he or wash it. <laughs> yeah, well, he, does, he doesn't ever wash it. I do know that. Uh, so... Donnie, you've been doing this for, you've been in the industry a long time, and Donnie does uh, films as well, hunts and rights, things like that. Had you heard of Davey? Yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Never met him, obviously, but yeah. And, you know, what I had known of, of Swazi was it was just very functional gear, but I didn't know about you. That's what Clay had explained, you know, kind of all the different things you'd done and where you, you had hunted. During those different, you know, hunts you've been on and everything else, how many times were you on those hunts? where other people were wearing niche clothing and you kind of were like, yeah, that's going to fail, or you saw it fail on the mountain. Is that a frequent thing, or is that, uh, and was it hard to bite your tongue? Uh, I wouldn't say it was frequent. I'd just say it happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we get it with backpacks. That's why I was wondering. No, I see it. I, I, and backpacks, I mean, you know, man, there's, there's a lot of thought and effort that goes into a backpack. That's why I admire you guys. And it's just like the moment you pick up a kafara pack, you go, same thing. This is going to last. But more than that, it's going to be comfortable as well. So one thing I've learned about packs is it doesn't matter how good the design is, heavy is heavy. Yeah. So give yeah. the heavy one to your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, was that, was it ever hard for you to bite your tongue on a hunt and somebody was wearing something else and something was going wrong and you felt like throwing your two cents in? It, uh, yeah, I do bite my tongue, but it's a little bit like, um, like the old, uh, trapper in that, uh, Robert, uh, Redford movie, um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson, Johnson yeah. where, where Redford sleeping on top of the coals and then he burns himself and the old trapper says, sword straight off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so I just wait until something breaks and say, sword straight <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just on a hunt up in BC uh, a couple of months ago on, on a goat hunt. And um, yeah, the, the, actually the guide who had some Swazi gear, strangely enough, and he'd had it about 20 years. Yeah. Um, but some of the other stuff he had, I looked at. And he, had, he had some brand new gaiters, and they had these kind of flimsy straps that went underneath his boots. I don't think you should actually wear straps under a gaiter, but yeah, a lot of people do. And I could see straight away they were going to last like one day. And by the end of the first day on the hill, and all of that, um, you know, I mean, we're in the ice, and and so there's rock and ice, and it's cutting the shit out of things. And um, yeah, his straps broke. Yeah, I I believe that. I uh I know like um with most gear it is designed to sell the hunter more than the actual hunt itself. Uh would you guys agree with No, it's, it, that's I mean it's fashion. Fashion. It's fashion. And 
I know the camo pattern's kind of the same thing. I'm not a big camo pattern guy. Um, I mean, I wear camo because, you know, what I don't give a shit. But the reality, I don't know that on a bow hunt, how much do you think the pattern actually matters? The pattern itself? Probably not all that much. Yeah. I think it more matters I'm for a, predators. I'm, I'm at less than zero. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, if I want to hide, I just did this the other day. Uh, if I want to hide, if I truly want to hide. So I, I was hunting two big bucks the other day. I wasn't going to shoot either of them. They're, I want to I see them a year from now, yeah. but I want to get close to them. Just the season's winding down. I want to get out. So I wore a, an entirely white ghillie suit and I sat in the wide open eight yards from the trail that they've been using. And all of them, all of their does and all of them walked right past me at eight yards. Never even, not only did they not look at me, they looked right through me. And if I want to hide, I'll wear a ghillie suit. If I, I probably could have sat there in plain clothes, but the first few does probably would have seen me stopped and the whole thing would have been up. But in the ghillie suit, I mean, they looked down towards my direction and they saw literally nothing. Well, you killed your buck last year. You were in a merino wool fleece weren't you yeah we're a lot of just earth tones i think is so how many people bug you for camo is what i'm leading up to because people bug the shit out of us a lot and i'm like are you hunting fucking backwards oh they want on your back (laughs) they want camo (laughs) yeah people bug us for more camo and i'm like "Ah, you know if you've done your job the animals probably doesn't know you're there and you know the movement and the wind are a big one but how much do you get pestered for camo uh, on a daily basis, you know, yeah. and it's like, oh, that camo's not going to work because, you know, we, we've got different size leaves where I hunt, and it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And um, I'm pretty much the same. I, You know, I have got some camo gear, but that's generally just because I've been testing a fabric and not actually a camo pattern. We do make, you know, a, a reasonable amount of real tree gear, but I don't hunt myself in a lot of camo. I mean, I was hunting bear with a spear. And so you've got to be sort of five yards, six yards. That's your maximum range. And it's like, well, I wasn't really wearing that much camo. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same with people saying, oh, your clothes are too noisy. Well, the noisiest part of any clothing is actually, you know, the bottom of your boots. That's that's really what makes yeah. all of the noise clump, clump, clump and scratch. But as far as camo goes, um, yeah, a lot of people have got rich selling camo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe white white tails, you know, might be a little bit different if they're, you know, they might catch something. But I, I mean, the thing that kills me with this is if you have, uh, what, probably four thousand dollars for full setup? Would you say that for most companies, for most the companies? bigger companies probably, yeah. yeah. And then you don't camo your face. Well, fuck, that's what they see, right? Like, I mean, of course, this is my own opinion. Okay, no, but it's a hundred percent. If you're gonna wear all that shit. And your hands are white and your face is white. I don't identify you by your kneecap, right? You, you're Davey because I see your face. Well, deer aren't any different. So if I have a camo knee and a white face, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I have guys give me shit for painting my face. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to wear all this shit, I'm going to paint my face too or wear a yeah. mask or something. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because, you know, it's like when you spot a deer, what do you spot? You know, an ear, a tail, you know, just something that yeah, actually something that moves generally. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Or the sun shines off it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing. Like, you can wear a red flannel and, and blue pants. This is an ensemble that I've killed many animals wearing. But I still paint my face. And people say, what do you paint your face when you're wearing a red flannel? Well, if you look at me from afar, my face is a glowing plate. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I got a fat head, so I'm really fucked. I definitely <laughs> need to paint it. And you paint yours some, sometimes you don't. It really depends. Like, Frank's like part ninja on, uh, 
you know, spot and stock mule deer. So he's coming in above it. They're probably sleeping, right, or laying down. So they're not, if they see Frank, he hasn't done his job anyway, so you don't have to. My thing is the, the glare of the face is another big one. And, like, younger days in a tree stand, I remember sitting in Wisconsin, up well, not too far from where you were just talking about, yeah. in the, the flowage, flambeau flowage. Yeah, yeah. So, and we were on a, on a clear cut, right, and um, we were all in different spots, and there was three of us, and I could see their face with a human eye immediately. And I'm like, okay, I need to start painting my face because I was in the Army. I'm like, I got to pretend like I'm in the Army because I can see their face far more than anything else. And so I would imagine you probably on a day-to-day basis or probably want to tell people don't worry about it. Do you paint the whites of your eyes? No, I know, right? <laughs> but I squint really well. <laughs> I, I hunt with a recurve a lot, and, and so sometimes the noise thing is – well, your rain gear is actually quiet or quite well. The lightweight rain gear is a little bit louder, but your your anorak, that's one thing I liked about it, is quiet, quieter than most rain gear. But your fleece is silent, right? And so with a stick bow, when you're within feet or a few yards, noise is definitely of the, you know, pretty freaking important. We're usually in our bare feet or socks on a stock. Uh, but I, your rain gear, was that purposefully built silent? Because it is pretty freaking quiet compared to most rain gear. Yeah, it was. And it's, it's the outer fabric is a knit. So, you know, it has its pluses and its minuses. It's a knit. So it's going to actually, at the end of the day, it will wet out on the outside of the garment. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll stay dry on the inside, but it will wet out. Yeah, get um, heavier. But yeah, it'll, 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 it'll be quieter. Going through all of these different things, and you're being quite modest, you've killed the planet, basically. How many animals would you say you've shot, roughly? I don't know, but I've got this nightmare, eh? and I'm in this great big like <laughs> auditorium, and every every animal I've ever shot and trapped is in there, pointing its finger at me and going, "He's the one, he's the one who killed me." Oh, there's probably so, medication for that. So f- hundreds and hundreds, at least, and you did it in solid clothing. So I think people need to take kind of a a big look at that. Um, so I, I I would suggest that there's probably been more deer shot in the last century, or century and a half with guys wearing blue plaid shirts and red plaid <laughs> shirts and goma pile hats and yeah and you know old lever action rifles <laughs> well well i know frank you don't you wear camo occasionally really yeah. more but uh in donnie you have you've been wearing just what basically flannels and whatever yeah. sweaters yeah yeah i don't uh Again, if the piece I have is camo and I like the material, I'll wear it. But I I try to make sure guys, I will seriously get messages from guys, and you probably get them too, of I've been hunting in this area and I'm moving. Should I sell what I have and buy this pattern? (laughs) And that's a fucking investment, right? That's several thousand dollars, and I'm like, ah, I would wouldn't stress over it too too no. much but again it's it's good it's good marketing i mean you know and i yeah. and i wear camo all the time because i like the fabric that it's made of and i don't really care but um i don't like you kind of focus on neutral colors for the most part of what you offer i mean i wear your you have like a tan and a green and that's pretty much what i wear yours yeah that's pretty much it although we're doing a little bit more because you know it's in scandinavia it's it's really gaining some traction the brand is and so we're doing a lot more sort of creams and whites because they do a lot of winter hunting on birds. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, and seal hunting as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. they actually want mm-hmm. white. Yeah. I know because um, Vicky messaged me the other day and I, it's nice for her. She said, hey, do you need anything? And I'm like, well, 
I only got fucking two arms and one body, right? Your shit lasts forever. I was like, I really don't. I fell off a cliff and jacked that jacket up. Um, oh, my the, God. The, the lightweight one. and Send it back to the manufacturer. I know, right? And, and uh, well, I was amazed it lasted as, as long as it did. When I killed my high country mule deer, that was that jacket I had. I was amazed that I only put the holes in and I did because I'm not a set of car keys and I was rolling through deadfall going down and I just happened to hit a few <laughs> spots on the way down. And uh, the thing, though, that, that uh, kind of, I guess, in the big picture, you cannot pax. It doesn't matter. When you go ultra light, you're going ultra fragile and there's just no way around that shit. You can't have ultra light and durable in the same no. sentence. When we did construction, we would say you can have quality, quantity, and cost efficiency, and you can pick any two of those you want. It's kind of the same way with lightweight gear. Would you concur with yep. that? <laughs> pretty much pretty much bang on, you know. Do you think fabric wise we've gone about as far as we can? Or no, no, there's there's more developments out there, more fabrics out there. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know, as as you get older um, as I am, um, and climbing gets a little bit, you know, the hills get um, get steeper and the rivers get deeper. Um, you know, lightweight is really, all my gear now is lightweight. And so, you know, I would suggest that over the last 10 years that lightweight gear has got better, the fabrics have got better. Because one thing you can do with lightweight gear is, is put a stretch into it, yeah. you know, so that when it does snag, um, it actually gives a little bit more than just, just rips. So, we're putting a lot more stretch into our fabrics, mm-hmm. um, and that's definitely that's almost half the amount of punches um, in, in the rain gear. So that's good. But I mean, you look at some of the fibers like Denema mm-hmm. and that that are, or the old um, what was that the, the old Cuban fiber I think Cuban it was called. Fiber. You know, yeah. I mean that stuff's like steel. It's, it, it just doesn't breathe all that well. So pretty soon someone's going to figure out how to make a fiber like that and really make it. Yeah. breathe exceptionally well and then our packs and our tarps and our rain gear you know it's all, it's all going to be out of new fibers like that I, I think uh well have you noticed anything groundbreaking recently donnie fabric wise no i haven't i mean i've seen a couple of things that i thought were pretty genius but nothing that i've worn outside so when you're standing there at or and you're holding it and you're looking at a piece of cloth or you see a jacket or something like that's one thing but to actually be outside. I mean, I, I start to trend back towards tons of wool, mm-hmm. PVC rain gear, yeah. and and uh, good hiking boots. Well, I think that um, as you're looking, like you said, you're getting older, right? You want to get your lightweight rain gear. Something also that goes highly overlooked is you have a field crash craft or bushcraft skill level high enough to get you out of almost any situation. So that's what you, I was. That's what I was going to say. Is when you go ultralight, you better have a freaking plan. Yeah. So. You can get yourself out of pretty much any situation with some common sense and field craft. You've been around the block a couple times. Would you say maybe the younger generation might want to work on some field craft skills? As <laughs> yeah, well? some field craft skill. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been in situations where I have had lightweight gear on, um, but it was what I insulated myself with under the lightweight gear, mm-hmm. and um, there were there were two people in the same area as I was, and they both died. They both got hypothermia and died on the same day that I was there. Oh shit! And it's like, hmm, okay, you know, what were they wearing? They were wearing a lot of wool. That was the first thing, you know. Yeah. Wool, I think, is fantastic. And my my daughter, she she lives in the Arctic, and she's a real wool fan. So dry and cold. Um, I really love wool, but when it's wet and say, you know, you're backpacking for two weeks and every night everything's wet, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge wool fan then. 
wool blends, I think they'll come into their own. So, you know, yeah, you can yeah. take a merino and then you can add, you know, some some sort of a synthetic fiber to it and make it dry. You know, I like this top here I'm wearing. This is, it's a wool blend and it's it's awesome. That's a wool and nylon, that one you're yeah, wearing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a... I'm a fleece mid layer wool base layer guy. Um, kind of how I roll. You Frank's kind of the basic same. Yeah. Mostly, I don't like drying wool as much as fleece. Fleece is much funner to dry. Wool takes forever, and so I think there's a kind of a time, space, and place for all of them. And if you're in Arctic cold weather, shitting in wet, you're yes, just dry. cold. Yeah. yeah. But if you're in a sweaty environment or whatever, I wear a base, like a really lightweight T-shirt that's merino just to help the funk factor. And it's a, it, it's a 140, so it's super easy to dry. But as I go to a mid-layer, I'm, I've got a fleece mid-layer on because it just it dries faster. That's the big thing for me. Um, and I hate to even bring up any story because it's going to kind of shadow in comparison to yours. But usually when you're seeing people on social media or somebody giving advice that may be not the best advice in the world, they haven't had that one situation where they've almost died. And that, that situation seems to be a paramount pivoting point maybe for gear where they're like, huh, maybe all that shit I thought was correct maybe wasn't Wrong. as correct as I <laughs> thought it was. You being in your 50s going on your 70s, how many of those situations have you been in where you're like, fuck, this is bad, <laughs> like bad, bad. Um, and I, I already know the answer to that somewhat from what I've talked to Clay, but, well, you just talked about a story where two guys died. How many positions have you been in like that where you're like, somebody ain't making it today? Um, unfortunately, quite a lot. Yeah. And I, mean, you know, and I go right back to the start of the company, and it was just the gear that I was wearing. And I got myself into a situation going down a waterfall I shouldn't have gone down and then getting trapped for three days in a, in a river system and just like I, I really should have died. Yeah. Um, and that made me think, I've, I've got to make gear that's going to get people through this. You know, you have survivalists, right? And a survivalist, generally, where I categorize those guys, they're probably carrying a hatchet and a bow on some shit. I'm just not going to probably carry for what I do because of the weight. And then there's a lot of difference between like survival, sustainability, and then what Frank and I and Donnie do where we backpack hunt, where there's got to be a happy medium of, and you do as well, lightweight gear and durable gear. And I wrote an article once called uh, Don't Chase the Lightweight Rabbit because I went ultralight and I about fucking killed myself because I went too light. Yeah. And there's a point in time where you look at your gear list and you're like, well, for four extra pounds, I'm going to be a lot comfortable, more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think people really need to look at that because there's, for four pounds, do you want to be happier on the hike in or the 10 days that you're staying there in the potential crisis situations you could hit? I'm at the age now, I'm, I'm only, I'm only, I just turned 43, I'm still physically able enough, Frank's in the same boat you are, I just carry in what I need to carry, I don't weigh shit, right, if I need it, I need it. There's a few things, like I tried a white uh, a alcohol stove once on a high country hunt where you pour the fuel into a little pop can looking thing, and mm -hmm. worst fucking mistake I ever made in mm -hmm. my life, right, a horrible idea. Well, you've never... You, you use an MSR reactor, Frank has forever. What happened is I brought a really lightweight shelter, really lightweight bag. It was actually one of the first times I used a quilt, which I'm not a fan of quilts. Mm -hmm. I brought the weight out the fuel, how much I needed per day, just like any lightweight weight weenie and a storm hit. And I get, I have rain on, so my hands get cold real easy. So I couldn't use my canister to warm up my hands because I didn't fucking have one, right? I had like an exact amount, which every time I'm pouring 
fuel into that. I'm losing the days I can't stay on the mountain. And then it got to a point with that quilt, my shelter was a three season and wind was blowing under it. And I was pushing the limits of the quilt. So I'm doing about 400 push-ups a night to try to stay warm. So then I start hitting sleep deprivation, which I'm sure you face. So then you're not thinking correctly and you're super fucking crappy, right? You're unhappy. That was a pivotal moment of, for me of, I'm never putting myself in that situation again, because my life wasn't in jeopardy, but I had to come off the mountain and I couldn't shoot anything because I didn't have any fuel left. I was freezing. Everything was wet. And so I would assume your designs and things that you've been through on a you know, year-to-year basis, sounds like you're in those positions a lot. How old was the first time where you were like, I almost fucking died. This was horrible. Was it 12, 13, 14? I mean, how old were you? Yeah, I was probably in my teens. Okay. And, and that gear at that time, you probably were dealing with cotton, were you? Yeah, a lot of cotton and uh, wax-proof um, rain gear or, or PVC. <laughs> you know, you sweat inside as much as, as the rain sort of, you know, yeah. on the outside and it's you know that that gear and it was heavy yeah you know i guess those are the things that we learn you know and the young people coming through they've, they've never had to sort of face the the cottons and the pvcs and and the we had a lot of crap gear basically yeah so, well it makes me feel like a pussy because i have the most state-of-the-art gear known to man and i look at the generations before that were doing the same thing i was with much less gear and i'm like if I get into a hard situation every now and then, I think I should probably stop bitching. I have about 20 grand in gear in my pack right now. I got a pretty damn well, it's, good. That's why these guys got so good at starting fires. Yeah. <laughs> you, had, you had breakfast, you start a fire. Lunch, yeah, let's start a fire. How, but tonight's looking really good to start a fire. Uh, what, let's talk about start a fire. Let's go around the table. We'll start with you. Closest near-death experience. Closest near-death experience. Um Man, this you so can many, choose a top three. I don't think Frank and I are going to have a top three. Donnie might, but this has nothing to do with, with survival or weather. Is this just like in any any yeah any situation? Um, I think it was um, just just last year in Mozambique, and a buffalo we'd been tracking for two days, and I walked right on top of him at two yards, and that, <laughs> that got that got pretty interesting. I, lo- I love to say interesting, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was pretty interesting. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Um, he kind of just brushed past. Yeah. You know, I called him the professor. He was one smart son of a bitch. And, <laughs> and he would, you know, in the end, he was just ambushing us. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we just, you know, that was the end of it. Though. When he brushed past, it was like, okay, he's going to kill one of us soon. Yeah. If, and he's just too smart. We ain't going to kill him. We'll just let him go. Adios. No. Oh shit. What would you have changed differently? Anything? Nothing. He was smarter than us. You know, we we were trying our damnedest, and he was just smarter than us. I I think kind of what as we go around the circle here, usually those experiences, especially for me, are the those pivotal moments where I take a pretty fucking hard look at what I was using and what I did. And it may not have been gear that I changed. It may have been I'm a dumb shit, right? Like in your case. He was just smarter than you, and there wasn't really anything you could change. No, nothing I could do. I mean, you know, I had one in the chamber. Um, I was using my 416 Rigby, mm-hmm. um, you know, safety on. I was, And I was keyed up and ready because, you know, the, the, the buffalo um, shit on the, on the trail was hot and fresh. <laughs> and it was just like, he's close, he's close, he's, oh! you and know, came out. that was done. How many, did you have a couple pHs with you? 
Um, yeah, we had a PH and, and the trackers, African trackers. So, but that's um, you know, old old Dugger boys, not not the bull um that's in the middle of the herd. The old Dugger boys. That's yeah. that's exciting as hell. The loners. Yeah. What uh, what would you say your closest near death to do with just the elements? Um, just the elements was probably that that um, time I was just telling you about before when I got stuck in that river system and that was like I I really shouldn't have survived. Were you uh, obviously you had water, obviously food, a lot of water. Were you eating shit you were trying to find on the uh, on the second day? I shot a shot a, um, a young stag. Yeah, and so but even just getting a fire going, getting a fire going when it's torrential rain <laughs> and everything is wet is like it's not as easy as the movies, you know. Fuck no, it's not. And I'm a fire building professional because my hands get cold easy. And uh, here you can fart and start a fire. Like you can, literally, you can start in Colorado, everything's dry. But I've northern Idaho was the first time where I I literally was trying to start a fire with very minimal amount of 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 gear. And I I was like, literally, I'm supposed to be a survival expert. I'm an idiot. Like this is, and you know. So then it was the, the search for cheats. You know, yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. Um, and that makes you think about what you have on y'all at all times. Like, what would have happened if, right? And so that made me kind of alter maybe of what I keep on me at all yeah. time. Yeah. Um, which I always carry a tampon. Yeah, it's funny, actually, a tampon with Vaseline does <laughs> yeah, work pretty that's, fucking good. <laughs> that's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. Tampon and magnesium. Multi-purpose. Yeah. All right, Donnie, what's your, what's your closest? Um, I mean, I have a couple that are, you know, I was on an airplane one time on a southern nepal and Kathmandu, and and going through the himalayas that was i was just along for a ride but it was very very as they say sporty um but as far as you know and and there's a cliff this last year on the in the chugach i was hunting doll sheep and ice and straight down and and uh it was just very very slippery and we had to cross about i don't know 50 feet that was there's zero zero room for error and and nothing happened but there's plenty of your boot breaking free just a little bit to it was just intense, but the closest I've come every time has been weather. Yeah. And the closest, closest I've come is, um, I, it, I don't even want to say this. I've told this story before, but it's so embarrassing. And I should have known better because this was like my fourth sheep hunt, but my first three sheep hunts, everything went great. Mm-hmm. And so I started to get maybe lazy or not crossing all my T's and dotting all the I's, but I... I was with a buddy of mine in the Chugach again. We shot a big ram. The day we shot him, it was 65 and sunny. We cut them all up, threw them in backpacks, and and we had we, we killed them on the second day of the hunt, so we had tons of time before we had to go back to work. So we decided, let's hike him all the way to town, and we'll drop his meat off at, at a processor. We'll grab a pizza, and then the next morning we'll hike back in, do some fly fishing, do some sightseeing, look at some other sheep. The day we hiked out, we just inadvertently, both of us left our rain gear in the tent. And, um, you know, we we're probably five miles on a 25 mile hike away from the tent. And we realized that we had forgotten our rain gear and we're like, oh, 70 and sunny, bluebird, we're great. We hiked out, dropped them off, got pizza. On the way back in the next day, we ran into some sheep hunters that looked pretty beaten up and they said, and they, they looked at us. They just flat out looked at us and said, where are, you, where are you two going? And we said, oh, we're going up the Ship Creek Pass. And they said, it's it's a blizzard there right now. Like, 
it's really messed up. And, and uh, they said, what do you have for gear? And they and we said, well, we just have this, but we're super light in the backpacks. We're moving really fast. And, and our tent is only about um, 10 miles from that pass. And they're like, don't go up there right now. Like go tomorrow, go the next day, do whatever. And, and we just said, well, we'll go take a look at it. So we hiked up there and I mean, it was, it was as close as you can get. I couldn't feel anything from my belly button down. Had no idea when my <laughs> foot was hitting the ground. It was the only thing I could feel, and this is, I'll never forget this, and I'm not being crass, but I could feel water running off of my testicles. It was literally the only thing, like from, from my butthole to my testicles, I could feel water just constantly running down my taint, if you will. Yeah. And, um, and then you know my you're in trouble when your taints, the only feel you yeah. you got. And the guy that I was with actually reminds me a lot of you. He's a biologist that I worked with in Alaska and he's just a knuckle dragger. He's as tough as it comes. And he's, he was looking at me going, I, I don't know if I have it, man. And I, and so <laughs> we would pick out things. This is how pathetic we were. And, but how determined we would pick things out that were maybe like 30 yards away mm-hmm. and we would bet each other to get to that point. We'd literally pick out a rock that, right there, you know, and he's like, let's just see if we can get to that rock. And we'd get there and then this rock and this rock and this rock. And then uh, and we, we finally made it to our tent, stripped on naked, got in sleep bags, huddled together. And I think it was probably 10 or 12 hours before we stopped shivering. Yeah. Yeah. Once well, your core drops to nothing, you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. But I've had, and then I fell, I fell through ice on a lake and a river a couple of times and, and uh, you, you fall through and you hook your elbows, you know, and you're like who saw that you know you feel like an idiot and then 30 seconds later you're like i am in trouble i'm in a lot of trouble here yeah (laughs) yeah yeah really fast when you're kicking your legs or you think you're kicking your legs and you look behind you and your legs are just hanging out (laughs) like oh those little spike things yeah i wish i had those born i wish i was wolverine right now yeah no shit yeah frank i think i know yours but go ahead well before i bring that up i I was just thinking um when he said he couldn't feel his like lower half of his body i think this year someone was climbing a 14er here in Colorado, like later season, wearing like Solomons and stuff. And the dude got lost and he just decided to try to find his way out. And he got so cold that he lost his shoes and didn't even know. Yeah. And he lost his, I think he lost at least one of his feet. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I think everywhere you go, there's a different Colorado is altitude gets people in trouble and fast storms because generally the weather's nice here. Right. But Physically, you can burn out because you're at 12, 13,000 feet. And then when the storms do come in, you've got a false sense of security because it was 80 the day before and the day after it's snowing. And that gets hikers and hunters in a yeah. deep shit. Well, that peak quit. is making its weather, right? So, like, it can be beautiful everywhere around and that peak is making weather. Yeah. Well, my story has to do with me being a dumb fuck, too, <laughs> high altitude. <laughs> my, my, I've said it a bunch of times on here before, just the altitude sickness that I got about two, three seasons ago. And, that was a little interesting, but yeah, I've pul- told the same story several like, times. So his lungs filled up, but his crazy ass, he hiked out. It took him fucking 12 hours. I, mean, uh, I think it took me like eight hours or so. It was like a f- three hour hike normally. <laughs> Did you feel better as you descended? No, uh, okay. it was at a point where I was pretty well screwed. Like I felt the symptoms around dinner time that night and I was like, well, shit, it's, it's dark. I'm going to wait till morning and. I didn't make it till I think 11 o'clock at night, midnight. And I was like, I need to get out of here what, ASAP. What were your symptoms? Nausea? Uh, no, it was uh, just liquid in the lungs. So I, you, I, you I, could could breathe, I could breathe out like this <laughs> and I could fill up eventually a, a whole Nalgene full of liquid. It would just go <laughs> and then liquid would just come out like yeah. pink, pink frothy liquid. Yeah, you're drowning. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, it was it was horrible like you were saying picking a spot to walk to i would do that with myself like i need to get to this rock take a break 
get to this rock, take a break. But it was like, it was very slow, 10, 20 yards at a time. Yeah. Well, what the problem was, and I'll bring it up, I, he likes this well enough. A guy named Zach Griffith hit the SAR beacon and he scratched up his elbow and he was dehydrated. And so I was, you know, me being me, making fun of that situation and, and, Frank didn't hit the beacon. I think your word would make funny, but first. And so, well, that happened. That happened. And then, then I think the week before I went hunting, I was talking to Ryan Avery and he was telling me about one of his buddies when they were in, in combat in Iraq or Afghanistan. He said the guy got shot in the stomach and walked to the helicopter. And I'm like, well, shit, if I can't walk out of the mountains without something yeah. as horrific as that going on, then I'm a little bit of a bitch. Yeah. But that was very prideful. I mean, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty, it was stupid to do that. But, uh, at least you know what Frank's made of, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> when he told me that, I was like, uh, why the fuck didn't you hit the beacon, right? Yeah. Like hit the SAR beacon, dude, have someone come in. But sometimes uh, that takes time too, eh? Yeah. Like that can take six, seven, eight hours. Like you may have saved your own life. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Well, he well, came back and you he went back in and killed a deer a couple weeks later. Yeah. About a week, week and a half later. Yeah. Um, I have two. I pissed out a kidney stone and uh, I didn't know what it was. And- uh you know, where we're actually, where I may draw this year. And it wasn't that far, five miles maybe. But uh, I looked like that dude on the green mile trying to piss. I didn't know. I thought I was dying. Yeah. Um, but I went after a bull, kind of hooked around. And, you know, I pissed blood a couple times earlier that week, which I've done before just from kidneys rubbing from not enough water. And I just chalked it up to dehydration. Dehydration. And that thing knocked loose or something happened. And I hit the ground and I was like, that's, that's something's terribly wrong. Like I, you know, you didn't, when you're in that much pain, I didn't know what was wrong. I just knew something was mm -hmm. wrong. You know, did something snap inside my body? And so I'm, and it's starting to snow a little. I'm trying to take a, like a, a conscious decision of, do I take all my gear, which I don't even know if I can carry in case I get stuck overnight, or do I take nothing and just go balls out and try to make it to the truck? And I just grabbed a few, things and the the problem was the pain i thought i was going to pass out from shock because uh it was hitting that point you know what i mean and i was getting cold sweats well then i tried to pee and quickly learned that it had something to do with my pee tube right i'm like okay <laughs> i can't pee like this fucking hurts well I, I didn't know what a kidney stone was right so it's it's like a little chicka pin you're peeing down your pee pipe right and so it's hanging up on the way down is what i learned and I didn't have painkillers at the time. I'd never taken ibuprofen. I didn't have shit. And so I made it out and ended up peeing it out later and figured, you know, it's fine. I went hunting the next day. Once I peed it out, I was good. I don't know about near death, but that definitely was one that made me rethink mm -hmm. life. Cause I was like thinking, I'm never gonna see my daughter again. Like I'm gonna mm -hmm. fucking die. And I didn't even know what's wrong with me. Uh, the next one would probably be, this one's more gear related. Storm came in, cliffs, three, four hundred foot drops on both sides, fog came in, high winds, I have not enough gear, and I can't see to, to get out. Um, that's probably the closest I've come to where I, I thought I was going to die because I thought if I stay here long enough, I'm going to fucking freeze to death. And if I walk out, I'm probably going to fall off a cliff and die because I just couldn't see, and that's in an area. Was that a goat? Yeah. Yeah, and that was fucking bad. Like, you know, you become desensitized. Like, I've read a few books on survival, and they'll say, look— They'll say, oh, that was an accident that happened. Well, it wasn't an accident. There were several red flag warnings. Missteps. Yeah, before the accident actually happened where something's saying, hey, stop, dumb shit, like quit. Yeah. Well, I knew better. I knew there was a storm coming. I was trying to go lightweight and coming back. The storm came in. 
And even not to pimp out your gear, if I would have had your anorak, that thing's a body. You can suck that up pretty tight and save some body heat. So doing push-ups and shit, I could have, I didn't have shit. I had a fleece on. So I literally was like, I'm going to fucking freeze to death out of ignorance. Um, and that was another one of those times where I'm like, would have extra three pounds of clothing really been that big of a deal to climb up the mountain, you know, with? And had I told you about this mm. before? Literally, was the, I hardly ever get worried about anything. I was worried. I thought I was going to fucking die. And I couldn't even text anybody to tell them I was about to die. And I, there was no SAR beacon at that time or anybody coming to get you. So I was really like, I'm going to die on the side of this fucking mountain. Nobody's even going to find me. Coyotes are going to eat me before I even get buried. And so that was another one of those turning points where, you know, everything's fine until it's not mm-hmm. or your gear's great until it isn't. That was a bad one. That was probably about as bad as it ever got. Oh, yeah. Just like Davey, like I, I carry a, a fire kit now that is... You know, I was doing some work with Discovery Channel and I was I was going to do a project with this guy who's an ammunitions expert in Discovery. You know, they're very Hollywood and so they're introducing me to this guy and and they, they start with me first and they're telling this guy, hey, this is Donnie Benson. He's a survival expert. He's this, 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 and this. And I go, yeah, okay, Donnie, so go ahead and tell this guy about yourself. I'm like, first of all, I'm the furthest thing from a survival expert. <laughs> I will take, I'll carry every cheat I possibly can. Like I'm like I'm starting a fire. I don't care if I'm a hundred feet under the water, a fire is getting started because I have the stuff that's going to do it. And that's, that's just, I, I'm not going super heavy. I'm, I'm going just heavy enough. Like I'm, I'm not going ultra low. I'm not going super heavy, but my fire kit is legit. It's a tiny bit more than a tampon, but it's in that realm, right? Like a fire is getting started. Yeah, we carry trioxane of your, you know what trioxane is? No, is it for your mental state of health? Or? It is. <laughs> when you build a fire, it helps your mental state of health. It, you can start it underwater. It's just a little purple Yeah, it chunk of, I don't even know what it is, compressed. Anyway, what's it burn at 3,000 degrees yeah. and it'll start anywhere. You can literally start it underwater. I carry that shit everywhere. With are, me. are you allowed to take it on a plane? Yeah. Well, not on the plane, under it. And I, on a, as I say that, maybe you're not, and I always do. Um, Forgiveness. But I, yeah, I literally have, you. well, you carry it too, um, a chunk of trioxane, long burn matches, a Bic lighter, and a ferro rod or a flint and steel. Yep. I'm starting a, a fucking fire. Like one way or another, yeah. fire's getting built. And it's, it's funny because you get very complacent here because like if you stuck me in your neck of the woods... I'd probably have to do some train ups because everything's just freaking wet, wet where you're at. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you take? It's just a tampon is normally what you have and Vaseline. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, may, maybe a um, more than one tampon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's tinder. I mean, yeah. once you've got the tinder going, generally you can't get a fire going. But and it's patience, and then it's also uh, making sure you stop in time to to gather dry wood because. There's nothing like trying to gather dry tinder and wood when it's just getting dark. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, I've got to step my camp up, but I've got to get dry wood. And it's like, I, I should have stopped an hour or two before this. Yeah. And it's preparation, right? It's getting all your different sized tinders all the way up, getting them ready, building your, like it's built, baking so a cake, it's a getting all yeah. your ingredients there ready, and then you start your process. Do you uh do you use those white gas stoves um in those types of situations as an like a backup so you can pour that shit on a fire if you needed to? So I've talked about this before. I use isobutane now, but when it's a serious, I'll take that white gas and dump it on whatever. Yeah. Cause like Oregon, where I'm from, like that's you know when I started, all we had was MSR whisper lights was the stove to have, and so. I learned at an extremely young age where to look for, for dry wood and, and how the, like you say, baking a cake. Because 
like when I was a kid, we jumped out of the truck once to for a blacktail rifle season, ran across it, it was snowing. Sense of direction, GPSs, we were so fucked up. I couldn't have told you from up and down. And we had cotton hoodies and cotton jeans on. And l- literally like that, I wasn't smart enough to know what danger we were in because the moment we'd stop, we'd shiver. Like you, you couldn't move fast enough to stay warm enough. And our inside of our legs were chafing from the cotton, you know, denim jeans. We were 550s or 501s, whatever we had. And it got to a, a point, we were walking the wrong direction. For We thought we were walking the right direction. And we actually found somebody's house and broke into it. And, and that's the only reason we, really, we probably survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say broke into it, it wasn't like we were busting windows, but it was a, probably someone's summer home. And uh, we pulled the window up and hopped in. And I don't think I was right for probably 36 hours. Like my body core was that fucked up. And I was only like 14. Um, we skipped school. Nobody knew where we were. And so going through all that different, those different, situations really does well you have a lifetime of it gets you ready also thinking correctly i would say you know survival experts say uh um you know you you kill yourself basically indecision or panic and everything else is what really gets you in trouble how many times have you seen guys get lost and do the dumbest shit one of my buddies got lost and a snowmobile drove by him and he hid from it his brain wasn't thinking correctly (laughs) and i'm like but he'd been lost for like nine hours, and uh, he's- Was it the embarrassment? I yeah, I don't think he could answer you to this day, but I'm like, dude, uh, you didn't, like, fuck, I'll start an SOS fire and burn half the mountain down, and he was like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I hid from it. And, I've uh, never been lost. I've been lost. I've, I've been confused. Confused, <laughs> confused for two or three days. What's that? What's that? That there's a mountain man movie. I haven't been lost. I've been far some confused for a month or two, but I've never been lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it is. People, um, you know, they they start to run. They start to rip the clothes off because they're snagging on trees. Then they start to take their boots off, and they often get found naked. Yeah, yeah. I've heard stories of of that, and or. Um, climbers right or higher altitude pull their jackets off for whatever reason and freeze to death um because your brain's not working and you start to get into sleep deprivation food water deprivation your your brain doesn't work correctly like you get a guy in a tough enough situation and ask him to do a math problem the cognitive skills in the brain just ain't fucking working like four plus four plus four is going to take a minute to answer that question so 17 (laughs) exactly (laughs) Oh, that's funny. All right, you guys take it away for a minute. I got to pee. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm, I've been going to Alaska my entire adult life, and when I have friends that go to Alaska or guys that I know going to Alaska for the first time, they want to talk about bears. What gun do I need to bring? What, what gun do you sleep with? How do you sleep with a gun? How do you protect yourself from a bear? And I just say, let's let's talk about your rain gear. Let's first talk about your rain gear and what your shelter you're bringing and your ability to start a fire. Let's start with those things, the things that are actually going to kill you, and then we'll talk about this monster of a scary bear that you're very, very likely not going to see the entire time you're there, even if you're hunting bears. Yeah. And if you do see him, he's, the bear's going to turn around and run oh, anyway. Inside and out. Yeah. And so it's it's funny what they always want to talk about. And, and I just had some a group of buddies that went up there on their first moose hunt, archery moose hunt. They wanted to talk. They assembled their group. I was in town and they said, would you have time to come up to the archery shop and go over all of our gear? So I said, yep. I'll send you my gear list. First, I sent them my gear list, and they said, man, alive, you take this serious. I said, yes, I take this serious. And then they 
you know, and then they want to discuss uh, uh, what gun they're going to bring. And uh, Aaron, I'm talking about buddies of mine that go to Alaska or guys that I know that go to Alaska. They want to talk about what gun to bring to defend themselves against a bear. And, and I'm always asking them what, what they're bringing to defend themselves against weather. But these guys told me, oh, we're bringing these pistols. And these guys have been training. They've been running at the range and like their private ranges in their backyard. They've been running and shooting their pistols under high heart rates because they figured this is how the encounter is going to be with a bear. And so then when they came out, they did arrow moose at a great hunt and everything. And I asked them, I said, how many days did you guys carry your pistols? And they said, oh yeah, just the first day, the first day. And then, you know, they never want to talk about rain gear, never want to talk about their shelters, you know, and, and they keep asking me about the teepee, you know, like doesn't have a floor. Yep. Doesn't have a floor. And like, how is that? I'm like, great it just doesn't have a floor it's okay you have to be occasionally okay with a mouse sitting on your chest but other than that it's way way better and um but it's funny they they didn't carry their guns for more than a day yeah that that sounds about and they brought shitty rain gear and they were even though they had a successful hunt they had a great time they were close to a cabin so they weren't in any danger they had a boat um or they're in minimal danger but they you know they they were ill-prepared with their backpacks, ill-prepared with their, because people don't realize what a backpack means of really saying, okay, and I now have to, a lot of guys talk big and they throw these weights around and there are guys that can move a lot of weight, but I do best. I'm the most efficient. If I'm, we're talking about heavy, I'm the most efficient around 80 pounds, less than 80 pounds. I get super efficient. But if, if I'm maxing out 80, 85 and I can still cover a lot of distance decent and ground, yeah. yeah, and decent ground, a hundred pounds start to, physically slow me down, cut me in half and I don't like it. And, and, uh, but these guys, like they brought such crappy packs that I think 50 pounds was hammering them. You know what I mean? It does take a toll on yeah. the long term. I mean, eat like everything takes a toll, clothing, boots, yeah. pack, everything yeah. does. But the longer I do this, I'm learning, con- you know, you're constantly learning and, uh, the more bad situations you put yourself in, it's no different than calibers of a rifle. You may have a epic time with a 6.5 Creedmoor until you don't and then you learn maybe it wasn't enough gun or an arrow setup or whatever and then and I always say that well it'll work until it doesn't and then when it doesn't you're going to have a coming to Jesus meeting with yourself and reassess you're going to be the first to know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what the for you you said you use a 416 Rigby yeah what's your standard like lower caliber rifle for smaller game uh typically in New Zealand 223 yeah um, but my, my sort of go-to one for traveling is a 300 Wisdom. Yeah. Uh, custom or? Yeah. You know, I had a custom one built and I, I had a Kimber mm-hmm. and I sold the Kimber, you know, to, to buy this custom one. And I wish I'd have kept the Kimber to be quite honest. Was it with the, uh, Kimber Ascent, the lightweight one or which one? Um, what was it? A, a 8,500 Montana or something. I think gotcha. they called it. And it, it just fed beautifully. You know, and it, and it, the first shot out of it was just always great. But this next one, I mean, it's beautiful and it's super light, the custom one I've had built. Um, but I snapped it in half on my first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> did you just bl- snap the buttstock off falling? I've seen that, uh, uh, Omer, he snapped a blazer in half. Oh my God, those are expensive too. Yeah, they, they are. I'm not much of a, a gun guy, you know, bow hunt for the most part, but. Yeah, even even down to the the rifle, whatever your weapon is, like that's another thing where we see a lot of guys. There's a specific company that does this. What is it? 
with a thousand yard shot. There's a range finder tells you how far to shoot. They dial everything in for you. And it's, it's kind of bad because they don't practice a lot at that, but they think their equipment will, will get them there for that longer distance shooting. Um, Frank shoots a little bit of long range, but I, not a fan of long distance shooting unless you are extremely proficient at it. it becomes a shit show pretty freaking quick and you don't mess with long range much do you no i don't i mean you know long range is 150 meters is, is long range That's for good. me yeah i was taught by um a guy when i lived in the highlands in scotland and he just said get as close as you can <laughs> And then get 10 yards closer. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty much it. And I think that's part of the fun of hunting is actually stalking an animal. And not, you know, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I I shot that one at 982 yards. It's like, well, there's no connection between you as a hunter and a prey. It's just there's nothing going on apart from you're an assassin. Yeah, yeah. That there is an art form to definitely. There is an art form to the long range shooting, and, and it is it is cool to watch guys, you know, be able to do that. I just I like getting closer is, is kind of my thing. Um, and, and obviously that's why I shoot a stick bow. And, and it, it again, it is an art form doing it, but there's definitely, it's more, it's less hunting and a hell of a lot more your skill set of long distance shooting, I guess you could say. And I've never really, I tried it once and I fucked it up so bad. I just learned I should probably bow hunt. Um, well, twice, I guess, but I know you shot. One deer at 500, I guess, haven't you? I don't like shooting past 500. Yeah, yeah. You shot your elk at about archery range this year, didn't you? Uh, no, it was, it was a little further than that, but yeah. I like doing a little bit of everything. Archery, rifle hunting. Yeah, I mean, I shot a sheep at just on 500. The last moose I hunted was, was I think it was 440. So, and that for me is... is out there. Out there, <laughs> you know. But there's a lot of guys who... They'll double that easily. You know? Yeah. For me, once you start getting past that 500, the wind really comes into play. Yeah. I've been around long-range shooters. It is amazing. I, I When Pinch shot his goat, I think it was 1,100 and something. I mean, you could, it wasn't killable without making a shot because there's a giant gorge with glaciers, and it was in the northwest Washington. And so you couldn't see shit when you got on the other side of the – I mean, you could have killed it at 10 yards, I guess, if you could have found the fucker. Yeah. But when he sh- he shot it, it w- it was pretty amazing what he was able to do. And he was that hunt was a kind of a forty and in or a thousand and out deal. He wanted to kill it super close with a bow or shoot it long range with again an LRKM when he shot it. Um, give you an idea, he shot it at eleven something. It, it was so bad it took us six hours to do that eleven hundred yards. It was. I don't know how anybody didn't die that day. In fact, I slid down like Heather. Somebody uh, break their wrist or something? We were all fucked up. I bounced off, my feet bounced off, and then my knees hit my face. Oh, and love that. Yeah, I didn't want to be the only one, so I was like, yeah, we're all good, so everybody else would come down and follow <laughs> me. Um, it was a long day. Um, I don't think we got back out of there till like you know midnight coming out, just packing the you know, the, the animal with it, but that was definitely more about the adventure than the actual shot. I don't know how... I mean, honestly, I don't know how somebody get more fucked up, but it was northwest Washington. So it was pretty wet and vegetation, a lot of fog, and great, great adventure. But, um, yeah, that was a long day. Anyway, um, so before we hit about an hour here, before we, we get off this thing, where can people find your company, you know, find you, things like that, websites? You got all that stuff? Yeah, website, swazi.co.nz. i got to say Z up here. It's Z where I come from. But. <laughs> Yeah. 
And uh, if anybody has any questions, by all means, you can you can message me. I answer questions all the time on Swazi Gear. Um, you got to you actually re- rebuilt your website a couple times since I started using your stuff. It's, it's very much more functional now, easier to oh, find Oh, thank stuff. you. Yeah, no problem. And you'll see Davey on there with his long hair. And you, you roll a Mitsubishi, a jacked-up Mitsubishi, don't you? I, I Suzu. It's Suzu. That's what yeah. it is. Do you like that thing? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do, although I'm building a... Um, I'm building a truck. It's taken me 12 years. To, to, <laughs> I've got a uh, old uh, German Mercedes-Benz Unimog. Hmm. Oh, damn. oh, really cool. So I've been building that, and it's it's going to be ready this year. Gotcha. And you guys, you guys have an Instagram page as well, right? Hold on, let me let me hop on. I'm just there. yeah, I'm just out there hunting. I'm not like you know too much up on the technology because you got a couple of them. So I want to make sure I get it right here. I'll pull it up so people can find it. I'm gonna buy my first piece today. Is Vicky the one in charge? Is she running the show while you're off uh, going on the adventures? Uh, no, she's on. She's in the marketing team. So oh, okay, she's cool. The marketing yeah, side. Yeah, I've spoken to her a few times as well. She's super nice. So it's it's one word. It's Swazi Apparel to uh, to get on there, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great gear. It lasts for basically ever. Um, I'm a big fan. There's like four key pieces that you know whatever I use that. I, I really like the Nahani, and I like the Anorak. You have a Rifleman that I like. It's not as long as the Anorak, but I, I like that one as well. The hood, and then you have a lighter weight, and I don't even know what's that. You have a Bush shirt that I like, and then a lighter weight uh, fleece hood that I've I actually started wearing all the time. I wear it around town and everything else, but the, it, it's great gear, and I can't I can't recommend it enough. So but I, I appreciate you coming on here, especially doing your, your first one. You did a great job. <laughs> Oh, thanks. It's my first podcast ever, so I just wasn't too sure what to expect. And it, it's you guys sh- have made it easy. And then, <laughs> you know, sitting here at the table, Frank, I, it's the first time I've met you, but I feel like I've known these guys for years because, you know, I've been stalking them and following them on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, Donnie doesn't realize it, but I've been I've been following him since before his hair turned gray. So, you know. <laughs> and it's just been super cool. And uh, and you two chaps have been like my heroes. And it's just like I look at what you do and it's like that's that's what we call dinky dye. That's credible. That's real. And, you know, anyone that's doing stuff that's real. And it's so easy to see guys that aren't doing stuff that's real and it's all made yeah. up. But these two guys sitting here, um, they're the real deal. No, so I appreciate I'm that. privileged yeah. to, to be here with you two chaps and you, Frank, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate that. And uh, Donnie, um, we already did one, which was super cool. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on. And, and what we did it on before is Donnie and I are going to go on Donnie's first traditional archery hunt uh, in Alberta. And so he still shoots a compound, but he's going to kind of immerse himself into shooting a recurve. And we're going to go hunt black bear and... I should know the date. End of May. End of May. End of yeah. May. There you yeah. go. Uh, end of May. So that'll be pretty cool. And uh, you've got all kinds of other shit planned for this year as well. So you're. Uh, It'll be busy. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody knows you already. But where can they find you at? Uh, Donnie underscore Vincent. D o n n i e underscore Vincent. And they're your films. They can just hop on your yep. website and Sigmana is. How do I pronounce that correctly? That uh, people go either way. Sigmanta, Sigmanta. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's our production company. And then uh, our next film to come out will launch in August, and it's a big piece that we did for Benelli. Mm-hmm. It's actually the first time we've ever been commissioned to do a full storytelling piece for a brand, and they're launching three new guns. And they hired us, and they just said, "We want you to go to Alaska. We want you to hunt. We want you to tell a story." Don't talk about the guns. We want it to be as real as possible. We just want the guns to be silent characters in the film. And so it's uh, it filmed 
um, really, really well. And we were, we spent uh, two and a half weeks on Adak Island, which is one of the more dangerous places I've ever been because like, the ocean there is absolutely stupid. Stupid, yeah. stupid, <laughs> stupid, 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 <laughs> stupid. And, you know, you look at the boat captain and who's not in his captain's chair at the time because he's literally on the other side of the vessel because we're getting hit with such big waves. And, I, you know, I almost fell over one time and I caught myself. And then my producer editor, Kyle Nicolite, almost fell over and I caught him and he caught himself. And so I asked the captain at night, I'm like, so if we would have fallen over because the swells are massive. I said, so then what? He's like, well, I, I can't even turn the boat around. So we just call the Coast Guard and say, this is the last known location of their body. You know, that's the game. But it was, it, it filmed beautiful, and that will be the next film, will be August. That doesn't sound appealing. I don't yeah. think I'll be going to be heading there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not. That's not. The ocean's not for me. It's not. Uh, well, I appreciate uh, you guys coming on here, and I hope you guys have fun at the OR show, and I uh, appreciate every guys, everything you guys do in the industry. And uh, it's Truly a pleasure to meet, finally meet you. Um, Same here, Davey. It's been it's been remarkable to talk to you, and, and literally I'm buying my first piece of Swazi gear as soon as we get off this podcast. Cool, cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot.